Let's take our Bibles today and turn to Romans 3, please. We finish a major section this morning, and Romans 1, 2, and 3 are a, a major section, as I just said, of the, of the book of Romans. And let's remember our theme, though. The theme throughout the book is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'd ask you to quote these verses, read these verses with me. Let's begin together, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Begin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And of course, that beginning statement, not ashamed of the gospel, that's the good news. That's what gospel means. And while our experience tells us that something is not right in the world, the good news is that God answers the question to why things are the way they are and to what hope there is. And of course, the hope is in the good news of Jesus. So today, looking at Romans 3.21 and to the end of the chapter, the theme is the good news declared. Now that word declared is going to be really important today. Let's just set this up, though, before we, before we read the, the text. I want to set this up in the introduction. As I mentioned before, Romans 1 through 3 are really foundational chapters, and there's some key concepts that we've looked at and that are going to be summarized today. So really the first part of this message is going to be a little bit of a Bible study, and then I hope to bring in the application as we come toward the, toward the end. So just stay with me and let's, let's think through it together. The first concept is the concept of righteousness. We've seen it in just about every message. That word has been mentioned, righteousness, or as opposed to unrighteousness or ungodliness. And so again, just to remember where we've been, when we speak of righteousness, we're speaking of moral goodness. We're speaking of purity. We're speaking of someone truly being able to say, I am a good person. Now, of course, in all three chapters, we found that no one is able to say, I am a good person, that no one is able to say, I am righteous. And that's really why we're given these first three chapters of Romans. Innocence. In other words, there is no guilt. That would be righteousness. That's an important theme. The second important theme we've seen is the law. Now, typically when we think of the law, we'll think of like the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments, and that's absolutely correct. So when Paul in Romans talks about the law, he's speaking of both the Jewish Old Testament law, we think of the Ten Commandments. Does anybody know how many commandments there actually are? It's about 600, I believe is the number, if you count them all up. So there's the Jewish law, but if you remember what we read in Romans chapter 2, the law was not just about the Jewish Old Testament law, but he taught us that non-Jews or Gentiles, they have a law as well. And that law was found where? In their conscience. In their conscience. So there's the law of the commandments in the Old Testament, and there's the law of the conscience. The next important concept is works. Works. And you'll see that continue. We'll see that today. Well, what are works? Well, so we think we thought about righteousness, we thought about the law, and then we thought about, now we talk about works. Works is human effort to keep the law. It's the, our human effort 
to keep the law, whether it's the law that's written in the commandments or it's the law that we know to be true in our conscience. Either way, our own works is our ability to do righteousness by the law. But then we come to this really important concept that we're going to look at today. And that is the fourth one in these key concepts, and that is this, justification. Justification. Now, justification is probably, I don't know if everybody says, well, this is my favorite, that's my favorite. So I'm going to say it's probably my favorite of all theological words, justification. It's a legal phrase, actually. And it was not just, it's not only used in the Bible, it's a legal term. And the word justification means a declaration, a declaration of righteousness. If a person is justified, they have been declared to be guiltless. They have been declared to be innocent. It's that moment when a person would stand before the judge and the verdict is given and we find the defendant not guilty, justified. Now, it's more than just not guilty because it also means not just the absence of guilt, but the presence of goodness, the presence of righteousness. It's when in God's legal courtroom, God looks at the sinner in all of his sin, but he does not condemn him as the sinner or condemn her as the sinner, but he looks at that person and says, I sovereignly decree, I sovereignly declare that this man, that this woman is righteous, to be declared righteous. Now, most people spend their lives trying to declare themselves to be righteous, right? This is the point that's set up here. People spend their lives trying to prove that they are worthy, that I am righteous, I am good, I am good, but the voices around us say, no, you're guilty. Our conscience tells us, it declares us to be guilty. People around us that know us and see what we do, they can point at us accusatorily and say, and say guilty. All of the voices around declare guilty, 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 but the voice of Christ declares righteous. And I saw Kathy say it. There's a great little phrase for justification, and it goes like this, just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. Let me ask you this question. As you sit here this morning, What do you feel is your greatest need? Now, if I'd ask you that before we set this up, you might think about that. You may have come in today, and and you may have come in today, and you've got a health need. You may have come in today, and you have a financial need. You might have come in, and there's something relationally in your life that's just not right, and that's what you, you you say, that's my need, and there's something going on in your life, you say, this is my need, this is what I need, this is what I need. Now, those are obviously legitimate, felt needs that we all have. However, they are not the greatest need. The greatest need that any person has is to be justified, 
it is to be declared righteous. I thought of an illustration of this. It was over 100 years ago, probably the most famous ship in modern history was sailing in chilly waters and struck an iceberg, and the name of that ship was the Titanic. And there are people on that ship, all with different needs. People, probably some of them had financial needs. Some of them had family situations going on. They had all these problems. But at that minute that that ship struck that iceberg, every person on that ship shared the greatest and most significant need of all. And that was to be rescued, to be saved, to be delivered. You see, what what my point is this. There are people that come to church or they look for churches or they look for spirituality to meet a felt need in their life. You understand what I mean by that? They say, well, things aren't going well in my life. I'm going to get God in my life and that'll make the situation better. And so a lot of people's spiritual experiences center around finding some kind of fulfillment for the need that I feel right now. But that is not ultimately what the Christian message is about. The Christian message is about the boat going down and someone saying, I have a lifeboat. I have a rescue. The greatest need. Every Listen, and what happens then is every need that you have comes under that. Because listen, if Jesus, if Jesus has taken care of the greatest need that we have, then certainly we can trust him with everything else. Certainly everything else we can put in his hand. And the greatest need that you and I have, and the whole point of Romans chapter 3, or chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 has been to reveal that to us. The greatest need is to be justified. So let's look at how this is explained, and let's dive into the notes this morning. Justification, first of all, the scriptures are going to teach us that this justification is now available. We're going to see justification available, justification accomplished, and then justification applied. Let's take a look at verse number 21, Romans chapter 3. But now, Romans 3 verse 21, but now, do we have the scriptures for the screen this morning? Thanks. 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being, could you say it? Being justified freely by His grace. That's a that's a verse that you can cling to. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In verses 21 through 24, we see justification available. First thing I'll notice is back in verse 21. Did you see in verse 21 that it says that the righteousness, righteousness is manifested? It's manifested. In other words, it is demonstrated. It is made clear. It is displayed for all of us to see. Righteousness is manifested. But there's a few interesting things about this. If you'll notice, now the righteousness of God, and what's this next key phrase here? What kind of righteousness? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's God's righteousness. 
It's not a human righteousness. It's not something that I can create from within me. It's a goodness that is more perfect and more pure than anything that could naturally come out of my heart. We're not talking about, we're not talking about a, a goodness or a righteousness that says, oh, uh, he's better than me, or I'm better than her, or she's better than her. That's not the kind of righteousness we're talking about. We're talking about the pure, perfect holiness of God. He says there is righteousness available, and it's been made plain for all to see. It's the righteousness that comes from God, and not only does it come from God, but it comes completely apart from what? I'm going to ask you to, to, to help me out a little bit this morning, participate a little bit. It's a righteousness from God, and it's righteousness that is completely apart from what? The law. It can't be accomplished by any law. There's no code for living. There's no secrets for success. There's no little manual that I could give you. In fact, this is, now, just hear me out. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. The Bible can't give you this righteousness. You can, now, the Bible will demonstrate, manifest this righteousness, but the Bible can tell you principles for how to live. Sure, you could memorize every proverb and you could fill it out perfectly, and you could obey every commandment in the Bible to the best of your ability, but you'd always come short. Because this is a righteousness that the law can't give you, a religion can't give you, your own goodness cannot give it to you. It's a righteousness that can only be given to you supernaturally by God. And of course, what I say doesn't, it's through the Bible that we know of this. It's through the Bible that God reveals it to us. But there are many people that they've memorized Bible verses, they live by a biblical code in their life, but they haven't received the righteousness which is of God apart from the law. That's what we're talking about. Now, in case people would say to Paul, well, Paul, what are you talking about? This is some kind of newfangled idea. Paul, this is some new religion you're throwing on us. No, Paul says, it's actually been witnessed by all the scriptures that were written before. You see that? Who does he call into the courtroom to witness the truth of what he's saying? He calls into the courtroom onto the witness stand who? Or what? The law and the prophets. In other words, that thicker part of the Bible that we talked about last week. He says, listen, what I'm saying, because he knew there would be some Jewish people that pushed back on what he's saying because they love the law so much. And don't people love their religion? Don't, don't people love their religion? Because in their religion, there's self-justification. There's a nice little code that we can try to live up to. But Paul is saying this, hey, listen, even the Old Testament is a witness that this is true. You study the scriptures. In fact, all of the all of the early churches, they didn't have a New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. They would study the Old Testament. And they would see how in the Old Testament, it witnessed of Christ and his fulfillment of the law. This, is, this justification is manifested. Righteousness has been manifested. It is God's righteousness. It comes apart from the law. In verse 22, in case you missed it, he says again, even the righteousness of God twice that's given to us, this is God's righteousness, which is, say it with me, by faith. Is by faith. Unto all, unto all, and upon all them that believe. 
if you know the Greek here, faith, the word faith and believe in the Bible are almost always the same Greek word. So you look at a verse like this, it is by faith unto all and upon all who have faith. Or it is by believing unto all and upon all them that believe. That, 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 and then the marvelous statement comes in verse 24, but before that, verse 23 reminds us of the predicament we're in. It reminds us that the Titanic is sinking and our greatest need is in verse 23. Why is this so important? Why is this declaration such good news? Why? Because for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you got on a boat, on a ship, and as you got on to go on maybe a vacation cruise, and they told you, hey, this boat has, you know, 1,500 life, uh, lifeboats. I don't even think they do that. I don't know, even know how it works anymore. I'm out of touch, but just stick with me. It says, this, this ship has, you know, X number of lifeboats as you get on the boat. Trav, you were on a boat recently. Did they tell you, did they tell you how many lifeboats were on there? <laughs> because of the Titanic. They make it clear. Now, when you get on, you're like, hey, that's good news, right? You're like, hey, this is good news. But it's only relatively good news, wouldn't you agree? Because you weren't planning on using those lifeboats, right? It's only relatively good news. Now, if the siren starts sounding and that news comes back to you, well, then that news becomes super relevant at that moment. And then that news is abundantly and aboundingly good news because the sirens are sounding. Well, verse number 23, you could sit there in church and you could be like, you could sit there in church and you'd be like, okay, you know, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know, thank you, professor. We're learning the theology. This is good to know, good to know. But then verse 23, like, is designed to be the siren sounding, the alarm that says, hey, listen to what was just said, because the ship is going down. Now my ears perk up. Now I say, wait, this is good news. Why is it such good news? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wow, it's good news now. Because I am in a predicament. I am in trouble. And justification is now available. And now we come to this amazing verse, number 24. Read the good news out loud with me. Verse 24, begin, being justified freely. Say it again, being justified freely. You didn't have to bring your own lifeboat with you. You didn't have to find your own means of rescue, your own means of salvation, because Jesus made free grace and free forgiveness and free redemption available to all. It's through Christ. Justified freely by His, and here's some more awesome words, grace. Theologians would refer to grace as unmerited favor. That the goodness and love of God without me deserving it. That's grace. That God just lavished his love on me and on you, though we've done nothing to deserve it. And then redemption. 
Redemption was the price, and, and this day slavery was alive all throughout the Roman Empire. It was different than the slavery that we are accustomed to, though, so don't make that equivalency. Uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, there was slavery alive in the time of the Roman Empire, and if someone wanted to be free, they could pay a price. Somebody could pay the price, or they could find a way to earn the price. So not only are we talking about justification, but there's another cool, cool concept that comes in here. If you could pay the price to earn your freedom, that money was called, anybody want to take a guess? What kind of money was that? That was your, uh, somebody got it. That was your redemption money. That was your redemption. The price of freedom for the slave. And so, so there's so much in here. I mean, the focus is justification, but don't miss redemption either. That there's a price that was paid. Now, that's justification made available for us. As we come to verses 25 and 26, we look at how this justification was accomplished because it wasn't cheap. Our justification, the price of our redemption, did not, did not come cheaply at all. How was this justification accomplished? What gave, what, what did God set in place to allow himself to say, I declare you to be righteous? Well, verses 25 and 26 explain how our justification was accomplished. Look at verse 25. We just spoke of Jesus and his redemption in verse number 24, and speaking, continuing on Jesus, we come to verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a, let's try this word together, to be a what? A propitiation. Propitiation. Now, that word is an atoning sacrifice. That God set Jesus forth to be the atoning sacrifice is one word, and I'm going to, you've got the definition in your notes. The propitiation is the atoning sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. A, an atoning sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. You say, well, what does this mean? What, 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 what do you mean an atoning, the wrath of God? We looked at the wrath of God several weeks ago. You think about the wrath of God, don't think of it when you think of human wrath. If you thought of a person having wrath, you think of somebody just like red hot, you know, maybe they're, they're just snorting and angry and they're just fuming and they're out of control and anger. When we, talk, when we speak of the wrath of God, we speak of the perfect, righteous hatred of God for sin. That just as He is all loving and all and and all merciful, at the same time he is all holy and all righteous and pure. So as, as exponential as his love is, in the same way is his justice. If he is, if he is, if we would think of God as incredibly, unimaginably loving, then we also need to understand him as incredibly and unimaginably just and perfect and pure. And the Bible teaches that God does not tolerate sin, that God's, God's disposition toward unrighteousness is, is a completely righteous wrath and anger. 
People know this. In our modern society, we've just tried to deny it. But civilizations throughout history have known. They've known. You read the stories, you see the, you, you, both fiction and nonfiction about ancient civilizations trying to appease the wrath of their gods. Right? We're all familiar with that. And they would think, and isn't it interesting? This is really interesting. What was the most, in, in ancient pagan civilizations, what was often the most common method of trying to, the ultimate way they would try to appease the wrath of God, of their God? What was it? You need another word than sacrifice. I need one more word to go with that. All right, we got it in the back. What was it? It was human sacrifice. Chilling to think of. Would you not agree? Now, it was condemned by the Old Testament scriptures. Completely condemned. But people have always known that human guilt deserves what? Human sacrifice. Human guilt deserves human punishment. Now, of course, they devised all kinds of evil, unfair, selfish ways of accomplishing it. But it's interesting that it has been in the hearts. This idea of guilt has been in the hearts of humanity forever. That's why our, our culture today spends so much time telling us, no, don't, you're not guilty, you're not guilty, you're not guilty, you're not guilty. Whereas the Bible is the only record that will speak truly to us that says you feel guilty because you are guilty, but there's a rescue. There's a way to absolve the guilt. So, God would not allow human sacrifice. There was a sacrifice that would be made on the day known as Yom Kippur. How many of you have heard that term? Yom Kippur, or in English, the Day of Atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus. I put it on your handout. I don't, I'm not sure I gave it to you in your notes today, but we'll just, you can just look at the handout. In, Ver, in Leviticus, it's described, the priest takes the, he kills the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and he brings his blood within the veil. And do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Stop and think about that for a minute. You're like, you just took us you know, back to an ancient practice. This is what would happen. There's a tabernacle, there's a temple. Now, once a year, the high priest would get his fancy priestly robes on and would go out into the courtyard and they would kill a bull and a goat. They'd gather up all the blood from that animal sacrifice. And then they would walk, the high priest only, once a year, would take all of that, he'd take that big, just, you got to imagine it for what it was, he would take that big bowl of, of animal blood and he'd walk into the temple with it, or the tabernacle before the temple. And he'd get into the holy place where only the priests were allowed. But then there was another curtain, a really thick curtain. And behind that curtain was what was known as the Holy of Holies, or the holiest of all. Only once a year did the priest go in there. And what is in there? The Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant is what's known as the mercy seat. Now, it didn't look, it didn't look like 
a chair. It was called the seat because what happened there? Who came there? Who, 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 who sat there, so to speak? God did in His glory. The glory of God would come down. He didn't sit there. It was like the seat of His power, the seat of His authority, the mercy seat. But the problem was there's a separation. People are unrighteous. God is righteous. So God said, if you want to be made right, if you want to be justified, once a year the priest will go and he was to take that blood and he would sprinkle it. He would splash it. The blood of the animal would get splashed on the mercy seat and it would get splashed in front of the mercy seat. And that was known as the day of atonement. What was God teaching them? That your sins must be covered by a blood sacrifice. Interesting. That is why God had a perfect plan of propitiation, though. That was a temporary plan. The perfect plan, the permanent plan, you see back here in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Speaking of Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a what? Propitiation. God's plan was for there to be a perfect, once and for all, atoning sacrifice. But there's a problem. Only a man can pay for man's sin. But what man is righteous enough to pay for man's sin? Not one. That's the miracle of the virgin birth. This is where the whole, the whole story of salvation and redemption comes together here. The miracle that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. The plan of God was God sending his son. And in the, the miracle of the Trinity, God sending his son is God sending himself to be the atoning sacrifice. That is why at the very beginning, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went to see his cousin John the Baptist. And as Jesus came, John the Baptist told all of his followers, look right there, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the propitiating sacrifice, human, fully human, to stand in the place of man's judgment, but fully God to be the perfect sacrifice that could make God just. That's why Jesus would say in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay my life down that I may take it again. This is interesting in verse 17. We see that God's plan, this is, this is us getting a peek into, there's so much here. This is us getting a peek into the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a peek into the Trinity. My Father loves me, why? Did God send, did, did the Father send the Son unwillingly? No. In fact, Jesus said, I will lay my life down for unrighteous people. And the Father sees the... I, d please forgive me if I'm I, trying to understand 
the, the full deity of Christ and the, the Trinity. I might say something wrong, but just, I, I mean well here. Jesus is fully God, fully man. But in somewhere in this relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, the, 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 it's as if the Son says, Father, I'll go. I'll pay their sin debt. I will go. And the Father looks at the Son, and, and because of the willingness of the Son to pay for the sins of mankind, the Father says, I love you, Son. Oh, I don't know how that happened, but it kind of gives me chills thinking about it. And then Jesus goes on. He says, nobody can take my life in verse 18. There's nobody that can take my life. There's no Roman soldier that can kill me. There's no Jewish council that can truly condemn me to death. Jesus says, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it again. And this is the commandment that I received of my Father. Romans 3, whom the Father set. What does it say? Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, both sent by the Father and willing of his own. Yeah. Back in Romans, whom God hath set forth, verse 25, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare, there it is, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Every person whose sins were temporarily covered by the blood of Atonement Day, every person who'd committed sins, they, in, the, in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith the same way. The blood of, Hebrews tells us, the blood of the goat, the blood of the bull, it could never take away sins. It couldn't take them away. It was just a picture. And when Jesus died, he covered all of the sins past. And he covered all of the sins today. And he covered all of our sins tomorrow when he hung and he gave, he shed his blood on the cross. He is the propitiation to declare God's righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Verse 6, 26 to declare, I say, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, verse 27 through 30, justification is applied then to us. It's said in verse, 29, in verse 26, we believe. Back me up one, Gideon. Back me up to verse 26. Let's see where we just, where we just ended. And at the end of verse number 26, the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. How do I get this justification? How is this declaration of righteousness applied to me? It comes the moment that I what? The moment that I believe. The moment that I believe. Not the moment that I do. Not the moment that I pray. Not the moment that I give. Not the moment that I do any human work. The moment that I believe I am justified in that moment. Now we look at verse number 27 and see how this is applied to our lives. It says in verse 27, where is boasting then? It's excluded. In other words, so who can brag? Not allowed. That's not allowed. This is a no bragging place. We are the church of the living God. We are the church of the redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are the church of those who have been declared to be righteous, not by our own efforts, not by our own goodness, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, big sign on the door, no bragging here. 
No boasting here. Well, what about my law keeping? Nope. (laughs) Well, what about my good works? Nay. But by the law of faith. There's one law, and that is to believe on Jesus. Verse 28, therefore, we conclude. Favorite line of the church in every sermon. Therefore, we conclude. Some of you get that a little later. But I learned conclusions from my dad. They take a while. Therefore, we conclude that a man is what? Justified. It's your greatest need. It's my greatest need. By faith, without the deeds of the law. Well, for what kind of people? I mean, okay, it's by faith, but, but certainly only for like certain people. No. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. That every single person has been made available to them to be declared righteous by God. Verse 31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. This justification upholds the law of God. It proves that the law of God is righteous. So let me finish with this statement. A statement and a story. Statement and a story. You ready? If we are willing to declare ourselves to be sinners... I'll let you all settle down a little bit. Okay. If we are willing to declare ourselves to be sinners, then God is willing to declare us to be righteous. But this is where it breaks down. There's a lot of... If justification means to declare righteous, there's a lot of people doing a lot of declaring, isn't there? And they are declaring themselves, they are declaring themselves to be righteous. I'm good enough. I'm religious enough. I'm, I'm behaved enough. I do this, I do this. And what they're doing is they're speaking so much. I declare, I declare, I declare this. I declare this about myself. I declare this. I say this. I say this. There's talking so much. If you remember last week, the book of Romans was given to us that every mouth might be stopped. Do you remember that? So that if we can finally stop speaking and if we can get to the point where we don't declare our righteousness, but we declare, I am not good, I am sinful, that's when we have the opportunity for God to step in. That's right, but I declare you to be righteous. Jesus told a story. Jesus spake this parable, Luke chapter 18. Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I'll tell you what happened. There were two people. One was the super religious Pharisee. You guys know who the Pharisees are? Fancy clothes, fancy talk, well-respected. He comes into the temple to pray. And as he comes into the temple to pray, somebody else comes in with him. And it's not just a Pharisee standing there, but next to the Pharisee is another guy, and he's known as a 
A publican, that's a tax collector. They were the ugh people of the society. Ugh. They'd come in the room and people would just ignore them, get away from them. They hated them. Why? Because they were sellouts. They worked for the Roman government. They'd come and take your money from you. Just like gross people. Stay away. <laughs> no publicans here. The Pharisee's here and he's praying. It says in verse 11, the Pharisee stands up and prayed thus with God. Oh, actually, no. He prayed how? With himself. And he said, God, thank you so much that I am not like this guy. What's he declaring right there? Yeah, he's declaring his righteousness. And he's making a great declaration. He says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like, uh, like they are. I'm not an extortioner or unjust. I'm not an adulterer. <laughs> and I'm certainly not as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Amen. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house, what's the word? Justified, rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been justified by faith alone. Is there a no bragging sign in your life? Sometimes we forget and we start to get a better idea of ourselves, a better idea of who we are. We start to get an inflated view. Jesus says, that's not the way of my disciples. We are sinners who have been declared righteous. But maybe you've never received Christ. Maybe, there's never, maybe you've spent your life trying to prove who you are or prove how good you are. Maybe today is the day, if you've never received Christ, today is the day that you need to get alone with God and say, God, I don't declare myself to be good. I declare myself to be a sinner. I declare myself to be undeserving, but I will believe in Jesus. Would you please bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let's have a time of prayer as we conclude the service. This is our opportunity to respond to the word that we've looked at today. Has there been, can I ask you that, has there been a time in your life, whether you're in this room or you're listening to this message, has there been a time when you have received Christ? Have you been saved by faith? That's your greatest need. You don't need to become religious. You don't need to become a better person. You need to believe in Jesus as I did one day. I realized that I was sinful, that I wasn't a good person. I admitted my sin to Christ and I put my faith in Him. If you've never done that, I'd invite you to do it right now. You can pray a simple prayer. You can pray something like this. Lord, I do know that I am a sinner, but I believe that you died and rose again to pay for my sin. So I trust you to save me. I trust your forgiveness. If you've never done that, would you right now call out to Christ for salvation? 
And Christian, as we just have a quiet moment of prayer, maybe you need to just reset your heart this morning and realize that we are not something special except that we are loved by God. Not because of us, but because of who He is. Would you be, would you be surrendered afresh and anew to Christ this morning? Let's just have a time of prayer as the instrument softly play. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the justification that you give us freely. Father, we pray that we would, Lord, live in light of that free gift that you've given us, to live in light of your grace each and every day. Lord, we pray that if someone here hasn't put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day that they would believe. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.